Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Faith in the Zone, a show about sports and faith and how the two come together in lives being touched. Right now, discover how people in sports walk in faith with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time. Welcome to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern alongside my co-host, my friend and the pastor at Brookside Baptist Church. He's Pastor Ken Keltner. Pastor, how you been? I'm doing great, Mike. <laughs> You're doing good today. <laughs> I'm doing great. Anytime I can get with you, I, I just uh, enjoy it so much, Mike. Well, you do a great job. Thanks for setting up this uh, the program. You love it when I have to start whistling, don't you? Oh, man. <laughs> we thought we were good to go on this thing, and I look at You know what happened? I got cocky. You yeah, a little cocky. cocky. Look how you good thought, I am. Thought, thought you hit all the right buttons. I called myself a radio savant, <laughs> and then we had to restart the whole thing. Not great. Not great at all. Our special guest, you know what I like about this guy? Look, we've talked to guys from Nations of Coaches before, but J.T. Henderson is the director of development. I said, look, if you can give a couple of shots to Pete Weary, who is a mutual <laughs> friend of ours and more of a friend of yours, but he, uh, I've known him for a long time. J.T. said, I'm your guy. No worries on the Pete Weary thing. The director of development for Nations of Coaches, he is J.T. Henderson, our special guest for the entire hour. J.T., thanks for your time. How you been? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. JT, let's start with uh, kind of your background and, and where you grew up. As we were talking prior to going and and, and, and uh, starting the show, uh, Pastor Ken, he can pick up kind of a Southern accent with the best of them. Because he'll start, all of a sudden he'll start talking like he's back in Oklahoma and nobody will understand a word he's saying up here in Wisconsin. Um, JT, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Stuff like that. Yeah, grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, ended up uh, back in Louisville, Kentucky for the past couple of years uh, where we are raising our family. Um, I went to Lipscomb University for a couple of years, was on basketball staff there, uh, graduated from Western Kentucky University, uh, and then my wife and I have lived all over the United States. And uh, anytime I get north of the Mason-Dixon line, everyone just assumes I'm from a hollow uh, in uh, you know, <laughs> eastern Kentucky and don't wear shoes and... Um, so I get that a bunch. I that or Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's kind of, <laughs> right. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was my first chance to take a shot at Oklahoma in a couple of weeks. So oh, yeah. look, I took it because that's just the kind of guy that I am. <laughs> hey, JT, can we talk a little bit about uh, growing up? To, were you a basketball player? You know, I uh, I loved the game of basketball. Loved baseball as well, but basketball was my passion because it. Uh, it requires team effort. Uh, very seldom can one person influence a basketball game like they can in, you know, the game of baseball or something where if you're a stud pitcher, 
uh, you're just going to dominate that game. It always felt like to me that there was a symmetry, a cohesion on the basketball court, and it was something that I was drawn to at an early age. So I, I played uh, growing up all the way through high school, realized uh, pretty quickly in high school that that was probably going to be the end of the line for me. There's not much of a, of a need for you know a six-foot unathletic guy. Uh, at the next level. So I decided to do what uh, the next best thing, and that would be coach basketball. Sure. So later in high school um, and after high school, I made it my goal that I wanted to coach college basketball. Uh, you know, growing up in Kentucky, I'm really, really lucky because I live in Louisville. So within, you know, an hour's drive, I have the University of Louisville, the University of Kentucky, and Indiana University. And then just two hours away, Western Kentucky University, which has a rich history as well. So I'm really lucky to grow up here in, in basketball nirvana, as it's called. Hey, JT, uh, you know, when you're talking talking Cardinal basketball there, Denny Crum was always a great coach. When I was growing up, I, I was always impressed with his teams and his demeanor. Uh, did you ever have an opportunity to, to connect with Coach Crum at all? Yeah, Coach Crum and I, uh, so I used to work at a nonprofit here in Louisville that, that helped kids that had been abused. And Coach Crum was one of our biggest advocates, so I got to work with him on some initiatives we had around that. And you are right, his demeanor, um, just the way that he treats everyone around him, just a class act um, and a heck of a coach as well. Well, I'll tell you, you, uh, you coached uh, and, and have, have uh, certainly met some some really good coaches. When you're talking about Dan Meyer, uh, Don Meyer, excuse me, and you're talking about Dennis Felton, you're talking about some some guys that you know have coached at a really high level. So you've been around some 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 really good basketball programs. Very lucky. I stumbled um, my way into working with Coach Meyer, and I guess it was you know a, a deal where I was being guided by God. He kind of opened some doors for me. I had no intention of going to Lipscomb and had no idea, obviously, who, um, who Coach Meyer was. Um, you know, he's, when he retired, he was the winningest college basketball coach. Uh, you know, he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, just a legend. And everybody in the coaching profession has studied and knows and wanted to learn from Coach Meyer. So I had a, a buddy who was looking to go away to college, and Lipscomb was one of the places he visited. So he just invited me along to go on this visit with him. I had zero intention of ever going to Lipscomb University. Uh, and so I agreed to go with him on this trip, honestly, because it was a day away. You know, we were going to go to Nashville. We probably, you know, might see some cute co-eds while I was there. So that was the draw to me, if I'm being honest. So I get on campus at Lipscomb, and he has a full day planned because he wanted to be a physician. So he's got this full day planned of going and meeting the science professors and touring all these buildings. And I was just going to hang out in the student center and the admin building until he got done that day. So I'm hanging out in the admin building, and, and a guy walks up to me, and he introduces himself, and he says, well, what are you doing here? So I told him, I was like, I'm here with a friend. He's, he's interested in Lipscomb. And he goes, well, what about you? What are you going to do for college? I said, you know, I don't really know, um, but not really interested in going away. I think it'd probably be a little too expensive for me to go here um, with my, my family's you know financial situation. He said – well, you'd be um, surprised at what we can do. So why don't we come into my office and just talk? So I spent all day with this guy, and he's talking to me about how they could help make college affordable, how a family like mine, you know, uh, middle class, could make college happen. 
And we start talking, and he asked me what I'm interested in, and the first thing that comes to my mind was basketball because that's you know school was secondary to that. And I told him I wanted to be a college basketball coach. He goes, well, then obviously you know about Coach Meyer. Uh, I assume that's why you're here. And I, I had to play kind of dumb. Uh, and I said, oh, well, yeah, yeah, but, uh, but tell me more about it. So he starts telling me about who Coach Meyer was, and I'm blown away. And he said, why don't we just go meet him? Uh, you know, he has uh, students who are student coaches for him that, uh, that go on to successful coaching careers themselves just because of how good he is. So we walk over to the basketball office, and if you know anything about Coach Meyer, um, God rest his soul, he, is a, he was very aloof and very an interesting guy to talk to one-on-one. He could mesmerize a crowd of 2,000 coaches and talk about the game of basketball and communicate that as well as anyone that has ever stepped foot on earth. And yet when you spoke to him one-on-one, sometimes you would walk away and you're like, what in the world did we just talk about? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. He was on a different level. So I sit down in front of Coach Meyer and we start talking. He, He actually spoke about Coach Crum since I was from Louisville. And at the end he says, well, you know what? If you come to Lipscomb, you got a spot as a student coach here. Well, then I was in. And um, I wanted to move heaven and earth to go to Lipscomb to work for Coach Meyer at that point, once I realized that I was in the presence of basketball royalty and didn't even know it. So my friend gets done with his tour that day, and I'm more excited, more fired up, more resolved to go to Lipscomb than he was. And uh, long story short, I ended up at Lipscomb, uh, spent two years there, and uh, then I went to uh, Western Kentucky University, where I uh, finished my degree, um, was a manager for Dennis Felton there, uh, his second and third year, um, and graduated from there, and then joined him on staff at the University of Georgia. So I've been lucky to have worked and grown and been coached and mentored by two great coaches, basketball-wise, but also two great men. Uh, and and I'm forever indebted to both of those men for the chance that they gave me. We are talking to J.T. Henderson, Director of Development of Nations of Coaches. If you don't know what Nations of Coaches, uh, what they are, go to nationsofcoaches.com. That's their website. And and their, their mission and their statement is uh, Nations of Coaches exist to empower college basketball coaches to leave a legacy of excellence on and off the court. And, you know, we've, like I said, we've had Nations of Coaches guys on before and always very impressed with, with the work that they're doing. It's a very difficult um, job, I think, to get going. And, and the idea to have college coaches, you know, embrace you for what you're going to be doing for them on campus. You know, there, I'm sure there are college coaches that their, their arms are wide open to, to have you guys come join them. And then there are other guys going, ah, I don't, that's just maybe a distraction for our players and, and don't have any interest in it. So it's interesting to be JT, you know, stop to stop, college to college, coach to coach. Everything is is different for the guys that are working uh, for nations of coaches. It's never the same, correct? Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, lifestyle. The higher, what I see, the higher that a coach ascends up that ladder and becomes more famous, um, has more fans, goes to a higher program, uh, the more closed off they are. And so it's harder to get into those guys. They automatically assume, because in their day-to-day life, people are coming to them with stuff they want. And we are coming to them with absolutely no one. In fact, we are going hands out uh, just wanting to serve them. 
and that throws a lot of guys off because they constantly have people coming at them that want tickets, that want access, that want, you know, a piece of their brand, that want to try to pitch a kid to them, to play for them. And we exist simply to serve college basketball coaches. And it takes a while for them to actually believe that we do what we say. Boy, that's awesome. Again, J.T. Henderson, Director of Development, Nations of, of Coaches. The other part, doing some research that, that I really liked is, is the, um, talking about what they do at, at Nations of Coaches. We do this, pouring into their marriage and family, providing leadership development opportunities and providing mentorship to you know the coaches and the players on different college campuses through throughout the country. We will continue our conversation with J.T. Henderson on the other side of the break. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. More now of Faith in the Zone, discovering people of sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Brookside Baptist Church. Back with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern alongside Pastor Ken Keltner from Brookside Baptist Church, our special guest, J.T. Henderson. He's the Director of Development, Nations of Coaches. Go to nationsofcoaches.com for more information. J.T., before we ask you for your testimony, I saw a beautiful picture of your family. And it is a family that uh, you must be extremely proud of. You, you guys have done some adoption, Correct. We have, yes. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about your family? I know you're married to Dr. Natalie Stewart-Henderson. She's a pediatric intensive care physician. So it's not like she's uh, smarter than any of us, right? Well, I, I tell every young man that I meet that the key to life is marrying up. And if I've done anything well in life, it's marrying up, that's for sure. Yeah, I saw a picture. You're right. I'm going to agree with you on that. You did. <laughs> you definitely, well, like Pastor Ken and I did as well. But uh, there, there's no, no doubt, JT. We t- uh, Real quickly, again, before we get to your testimony, um, boy, that, that takes a, a special couple um, to, to go down the adoption route. How many kids do you have? We have three, uh, two of which are adopted. And I think it's interesting that, in this segment when you want to talk about my faith journey that you brought up my family, because those two are so entwined, um, you can't separate them and talk about one without the other. And as you hear my story, uh, that will become evident. So I grew up uh, in, a, in a Christian home. My parents, um, we went to church every time the door was open. I went to a small Christian school in Louisville, Kentucky. So faith and God um, were something that I was exposed to at a young age and then continuously growing up, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but I think there's a point in your life when your faith becomes your faith and it doesn't, it no longer is the faith of your parents, the faith of your teachers, the faith of the people you've grown up with, uh, when it truly becomes your faith. And that happened for me um, in my mid 20s. So, um, you know, when I was coaching the game of basketball, a newlywed, um, even in, during college, faith was just something that I had, and church was just something that I did. 
Um, it was important to me, but it wasn't the most important thing to me. And I think that that's typical of a lot of kids that were raised like me, who, like I said, um, faith was, was so, um, it, it was, it was all encompassing with school and church. Um, it was something that all of us was. And so it just wasn't mine yet. And so I get out of college and Natalie and I are married and she's in med school and we decide that we want to start a family. And it, you know, it was that time it was natural and we just couldn't get pregnant. And that smacked us in the face after a couple of years of infertility. Here I was, you know, I had become a college basketball coach. My wife had, you know, switched courses from being an English teacher, dropped all of that and said, I want to go to med school. And she got into med school and she was killing that. So we were both type A, you know, I see this hill, I'm going to take that hill, people. And when we decided to, to have a baby and we couldn't get pregnant, man, that was tough. And you end up, or we ended up, and I think this is common, you end up questioning yourself, you end up questioning your spouse, you know, like, is this my fault? Is this her fault or his fault? And then you turn and you, you question God. And, you know, you're asking things like, I, you know, I just want a child. There's everybody, it seems like everybody in the world is having a kid. And I can't, we can't get pregnant. And this is all we want. And God, are you still there? Have you ever been there? And it was really formative um, in that time as I look back on it. Um, because, yes, certainly God was there. And he had a different story than what Natalie and I had drawn up. Because, you know, if it was up to us, we would have probably done the typical American family and had two children spaced out two years apart, and then we would be done. And we would live this white middle-class existence that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's not what God had for us. So we struggled with infertility for uh, what seemed like decades. It was four years. And at the end of that fourth year, um, we bumped into or were introduced to or reconnected with four families that had adopted from Ethiopia. And all that happened within the course of probably two months. So at the end of those two months, you know, Natalie and I sat down and, and I said, obviously, I'm not the smartest guy in the world here, but I think God's probably trying to tell us something. And we made the decision to start the adoption process. And nine months later, I jumped on an airplane by myself because Natalie was starting re uh, residency. Um, so great timing. I jump on a plane fly to Africa and meet our three-year-old son, Tedros, who we call Teddy. And I go to the orphanage and meet him. And it's kind of like they shove you out the door and it's good luck. So here I am, 7,500 miles from home, never been a father. I don't speak the native language of Ethiopian. Oh, man. Uh, which is Amharic, and he speaks no English. He's probably terrified of this white guy who has come and taken him from the orphanage. And we had to make it for a week until we got back home to America. And I look back on that week and, and the bond that Teddy and I developed. And uh, it, was, it was just, it was amazing. While we were in Ethiopia, um, I had a very formative experience and something that you could not chalk it up to faith or chance. Uh, it, was, it was God. So we were um, sightseeing one day. 
and we stopped at the market in the capital of Addis Ababa. And we're doing some shopping, uh, buying some stuff to bring back home, artwork, things like that. And I noticed there was a group of children that had gathered outside the shop, a bunch of kids. And it was in the middle of the day when kids should be at school, and just a bunch of kids. And security guards were trying to, to get them to disperse. Um, and I, I walked up to our interpreter and I said, hey, can you tell me what's going on here? And uh, they said, well, security guards don't want uh, those panhandlers to bother uh, the tourists here. And so I said, well, tell me like more about these kids. And so apparently Addis Ababa has a huge amount of homeless youth, um, kids that have a even worse existence and a worse, worse life than living in an orphanage. I mean, these kids either are orphans themselves and they never make it to an orphanage or they're sent to the capital by their families to try to find work to then bring that work back to the countryside, bring that money back to the countryside. And they go to Addis Ababa and they live on the streets and they have no food and they have no sustenance and no, no jobs. And it's a very bad lifestyle that often ends up with those children being trafficked, um, becoming modern day slaves, things like that. So they, she starts telling me this, and I scan the crowd, and I see that one of the youth, one of those young men, is wearing a Western Kentucky University basketball T-shirt. So I run up to this to this kid who's probably 12 years old, and I put my arms on his shoulders, and I start pointing to his shirt, and I'm like, that's where I went to school. Go Hilltoppers. Of course, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. And our uh, interpreter um, came up and I said, hey, can you tell him that that's where I went to college and I used to work on the basketball staff there? And so we start talking and I just learned a little bit about him and where he came from and the life that he's living. It was just heartbreaking. And he was wearing, so he had the Western Kentucky uh, shirt on, he had a pair of flip-flops on, some tattered pants, and you could tell that that was all that he owned. And he was wearing around his neck um, a Ethiopian plastic cross that was tied on a string. And so I pointed to it and I said, you know, I asked him about, about Jesus and if, if he knew who that was. And just, we talked about his faith a little bit. And when I had to leave, I gave him a little bit of money and I said, Hey, I'm glad we met. I hope you'll use this money to buy some food or help your family out. And he took, he started to take off that cross and I saw what he was doing. He was going to try to give it to me. And I told him through the interpreter, I was like, I told the interpreter, I said, there is no way in the world I'm taking the one possession that this young man has. And it's, you know, it really humbled me that we have all this stuff here in America and I'm certainly guilty of this. And he was, he was willing to give me, wow. the, you know, the one thing that he had. So I told him no, but he was insistent. He told me through the interpreter, he said, you're my friend, and this is what we do for our friend. So I still have that cross, and it's one of my most treasured possessions. And what I learned from that was I believe that God wanted me to come back to America and do something in my life that truly mattered. It was not enough, in my estimation, for my wife and I to go to Africa and adopt a young man, bring him back here. Uh, and live in our family. Yes, that's awesome, and it's noble, and I, I, you know, I think it should be applauded when families adopt. <clears throat> but God, I felt wanted more from me, and that young man was the messenger 
that that God used to send that message to me. Wow. So, and so came back and stumbled into a career in nonprofit fundraising. This was after I'd gotten out of college basketball because of Natalie moving all over the country for med school and such. So um, become a nonprofit fundraiser. And long story short, that's how I ended up at Nations of Coaches um, because I have experience in fundraising, fund development, uh, philanthropy, and also in college basketball coaching. So I can kind of speak both of those languages. So it's really neat that, that you know, that, that path that, that I took, uh, God was there preparing me for this moment to work for Nations of Coaches and to truly give back in my day job, uh, in my career, uh, in a way that I never could have imagined. Boy, what a wonderful story. He is J.T. Henderson. He's the Director of Development, Nations of Coaches. Again, uh, nationsofcoaches.com. And when we're going to get to a break. Other side of the break, we're going to talk more about what his day-to-day is. We're going to talk more about Nations of Coaches. And if you're feeling led uh, throughout this to, to help some of these guys and the work that they're doing, there's a way that you're able to go on that website and uh, and go to Pete where you go to uh, Coach Lightfoot or some of these guys that are out there really doing great work with some of these college basketball coaches and teams and families and, and, and couples throughout the country and be able to help them. Uh, they, they need to do some fundraising to, to keep doing what they're doing, and, and uh, we're going to try to help them if we can. Again, we're talking to J.T. Henderson, Director of Development for Nations of Coaches. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone, an inside look at people in sports and their walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Bayview Shade and Blind. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Well, welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. I'm Mike McGivern, alongside the head pastor at Brookside Baptist Church. He's Pastor Ken Keltner. Our special guest is a great second segment. Man, J.T. Henderson, Director of Development, Nations of Coaches. You can go to nationsofcoaches.com. You know, Ken, we were looking at each other during that, um, his testimony, and the Lord certainly has is using J.T. In, in ways that maybe he, you know, he's not using other people. I love the story of... of you know, seeing a kid in a Western Kentucky shirt. And and that definitely was the Lord's way of, of catching JT's attention to say, okay, there's some other, some bigger things I need from you. Yeah. And JT, one thing as you were sharing your testimony that came back to me is so many of the of our guests have had, that grew up in a, uh, a family that took them to church and, and was more faith-based. Uh, you, you were right on when you said, at some point you got to make that your own and that has been a familiar uh, message that many of our guests who grew up with that same kind of background have shared with us and so so thankful that that I think you said in your 20s you made that real yeah yeah was that was that when you were in college uh, or, no it was been after college it was right after college okay yeah, yeah. And I have, uh, I man, when you're talking about the the street the street boys and the street kids over, I, I was in Nairobi, saw the same thing. It's just heartbreaking to see someone throw a chicken bone out there, and they come out like wild dogs trying to get that. And it is heartbreaking to see. And 
And uh, that was moving to hear how God was using that that 12-year-old boy there in your life. So, um, and what have you been able to do as far as the nonprofit with uh, trying to, I, I guess, send some of that back to Africa, or what were you doing with that? Yeah, so um, Natalie and I were, have been involved in several uh, nonprofit organizations that um, do work in Ethiopia um, as donors, as volunteers. I've actually gone back and um, done a couple of mission relief trips, installing things like water purifiers and things like that in Ethiopia. Probably the coolest story that came out of that, and uh, I hope you guys like this. So our best friend uh, here in the States, um, in fact, uh, the husband was the officiant at our wedding, and the wife was Natalie's maid of honor. So, I mean, we're really close with these folks. Um, right after we adopted Teddy, um, she, Emily, found herself um, perusing online to find her two daughters' Easter dresses. And she just felt icky about it because she was like, I'm going to spend, you know, $200, $100 on outfits that they don't need, that they're just going to wear once and then outgrow just so we can go to church and dress up. And she got an idea. She said, I don't feel like Jason and I are called to adopt, but we can certainly give back. And so they started a movement that they call Forget the Frock. And they challenge people every Easter to not dress up, not wear a suit, not wear a you know fancy dress, but to buy a T-shirt from uh, a number of organizations that they know and that they kind of vet and present to their people. Buy a T-shirt, and you know the funds from those T-shirts go back into you know helping orphans, helping widows, helping uh, the you know the ones that aren't privileged all across the globe. They started this about five, six years ago, and they've raised over a million dollars for nonprofits all across the world that give back to help orphans and widows just because um, of our adoption of Teddy. Hey, JT, and when, when you guys do that and you go on these mission trips, um, uh, do you, are you able then to share your testimony, uh, obviously share the, share the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, I've done that um, when, when I've traveled to Africa, the couple of times that I've gone, uh, it has been with an organization here in the States um, that does uh, faith-based relief work there. So, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that okay. is something that I am able to share while, while there. We're talking to J.T. Henderson, again, Director of Development for Nations of Coaches. Hey, when, um, when did you become aware of, of Nations of Coaches? When you were on one of the staffs that we had talked about? No, actually, I went through my coaching career, and um, by the time that I had, had made the switch and gotten out of coaching, Nations of Coaches didn't exist yet. Okay. So I was completely blind to it, didn't know it existed, and um, one day uh, I got a message from a good friend of mine named Mike Hamilton. Mike, uh, when I was coaching at the University of Georgia, Mike was the athletic director at the University of Tennessee. Um, after that, he actually ran a, a huge nonprofit that worked in orphan care. So I met him while I was at Georgia. We became acquaintances, and then we became friends when we were both, you know, we had both adopted from Ethiopia, uh, and then we both did some, some aid work there as well. 
And Mike um, was running the search committee for Nations of Coaches to find the first uh, development director. So Mike reached out to me and he said, hey, I don't know where your career is, what you're feeling right now, but I got the job that, that was made for you. And, I, of course, whenever anyone tells you that, especially someone you respect like I do, Mike, you listen you bet. pretty well. Yeah. And so he starts telling me about Nations of Coaches, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this sounds like a perfect fit. So I spent some time researching the organization, and I even called some of my good friends that are still in coaching and asked them about Nations of Coaches, and they all raved about it and said, yeah, those are just some some really good guys that their entire job is just to serve us and to pour into us and to make us better so we can be better coaches, better husbands, better fathers. Well, that's a perfect fit for you. You're raising money in basketball and, and, and doing the kind of work that, that these guys that are on campuses are trying to do. And when we talk about, again, nations of coaches, if you just joined us, they exist to empower college basketball coaches to leave a legacy of excellence on and off the court. As the director of development for nations of coaches, um, JT, give me an idea, and I'm sure a day-to-day um, kind of synopsis on what you do every day, I'm sure, is always different. But the bottom line is the director of development, your job is to raise funds for, for this organization, correct? Yes, we cannot provide our services, cannot serve coaches, can't pour into them if we don't have revenue. And so my job is, you know, revenue is like fuel to an organization. And that's my job, man, to get that, that fuel into our organization so we can have those outputs. So our so our staff members can go out into the field and be with coaches and serve them. So that means that I get to share our story a lot and share where we've come, where we are and where we're going, the why that we do things, which of course is because we think you know, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to love everyone and we've chosen coaches to love. So I get to share a lot of that. I get to help craft our communication with donors as well. So a lot of reporting back on the good work that we've done and then a lot of asking for folks to come join us. My parents joke that I was very good at asking for money at a young age and that I've swindled them out of so much money that this <laughs> certainly was the great, a great profession for me. Hey, JT, how many coaches uh, are, are out there with Nations of Coaches? That's a good question, and it's kind of, you know, we, it's kind of layered. We have, you know... We serve annually 3,000 coaches or so every wow. year. Mm-hmm. Now, that includes – we do a lot of work the week of the Final Four. So if you're not familiar, at the Final Four, um, the National Association of Basketball Coaches has their annual convention, which um, is a time where coaches can come learn, can come network. A lot of times that's where you find your next job. So anytime you go to a Final Four, there are 3,500 to 4,000 college coaches in attendance there who are all getting together to network and to learn from each other. So that's our go time. So we send our whole staff to the final four and we do a lot of connecting with coaches there. So that's kind of our entry level. Um, But then we have marriage retreats where 150 coaches and their spouse will come with us for two and a half days to a retreat center and we'll get to pour into their marriages. Um, So that's, that's a pretty, you know, a good next step for coaches. Um, we do a lot of mentoring to coaches. So when they're going through stuff with their players, with assistant coaches, or with their families, a lot of times we are the first people they call, um, and we can counsel them through that. 
Um, and then, as you know, we place character coaches on staff with men's college teams. Uh, so kind of in the, uh, the easiest way to sum it up is it's kind of like a team chaplain, but it's uh, a little bit more involved than that. And we have 150 of those throughout the country on college basketball teams. Yeah, and Pete, also, uh, Pete Weary is one of the – is he a character coach? Uh, no, uh, Pete Weary actually uh, finds, trains, and places character coaches for other college programs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, he got promoted. Oh, he, he did, did get promoted, yeah. Man. Yeah, sucker born every minute, right? It's hard to yeah. believe, man. Well, uh, yeah, I bet he has to be careful when he walks on campus to want to challenge any of the players or coaches to play horse because that's not really – no. he, he, he doesn't really have a shot. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, and his son didn't shoot it all that well either. Yeah. I'm just – no, I'm if, just if, kidding. If, if I'm only just, kidding. If PJ could just find one of my boys open, that, that's yeah, all That I was the key. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you, when one time when we had Pete on, he said, look, nations of coaches – in the beginning, we were like a garage band. He said, now we're, you know, now maybe we're opening for some pretty big bands out there. He said, but we went from the garage and we're kind of a small group and now it's getting a little bit bigger and, and, uh, people are starting to catch on to what we're doing and we're doing a great job of, of, uh, you know, certainly getting in the car and, and going and seeing as many of these guys as we can. Um, hey, real quickly before we get to a break, uh, JT, when when you're out and and would you normally be talking to 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 big companies throughout the country, on or or to individuals? What what is kind of your game plan as far as trying to get um, more funding and 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 money to to help expand the the message of nations of coaches? The vast majority of our funding and funders are individual donors. But a lot of those folks have taken their passion and what we do back to their companies, whether they are the owner and founder of that company or they are somewhere on the organizational chart and gotten funding for us uh, from their work as well. But by and large, uh, we are funded through generous individuals um, rather than companies. Beautiful. Hey, let's get to a break. We'll continue our conversation. We're talking to J.T. Henderson, Director of Development, Nations of Coaches. And you can go to that website if you're feeling led to help these guys out or learn more about what they're doing. Uh, nationsofcoaches.com. It's a good website. A lot of interesting information on that website will get you a really good, strong feel for what these guys are all about. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Back to Faith in the Zone, a journey on how people in sports walk in faith. Faith in the Zone is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Here's host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. All this time, all this time, you covered me. Welcome back to Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The Fan, Mike McGivern, alongside Pastor Ken Keltner, Brookside Baptist Church, J.T. Henderson, Director of Development for Nations of Coaches. Man, I've been a great guest. Nationsofcoaches.com. If you didn't hear their mission and what they do, they exist to empower college basketball coaches to leave a legacy of excellence on and off the court. They do that by pouring into their marriages, their family, providing leadership development opportunities, and providing mentorship with these coaches. 
And uh, just a wonderful idea on how to help some of these college coaches. And, and look, if you follow the game of college basketball, you understand the money's gotten out of control. And the amount of pressure that these coaches at every level are feeling to win, to be able to keep their job, is is, is extreme. These guys are, are feeling that pressure on a day-to-day basis, and to have somebody come in alongside of them, that as JT keeps talking about pouring into them to make their lives a little bit better, to help them in that journey, I think is a wonderful thing for the nations of coaches to do. And we're not just talking about X's and O's by any means. We're talking about, like I said, they're, they're, they pour into their, their marriages and their family, and, and they help their staffs and some of the players on their team. And I think that that's uh, a wonderful thing. Nationsofcoaches.com. And J.T. Henderson is the Director of Development. If you have questions for him and you have a company or an individual that wants to get more involved in what these guys are doing, we have not yet gotten a guy here in the state of Wisconsin. But I know that Coach Lightfoot, the last time we had him on, they were looking. They were starting to the process, and this was about six or seven months ago, to look into the state of Wisconsin. So if you know somebody that may have some interest in working with nations of coaches and possibly be that guy in the state of Wisconsin, you know, JT would be a great guy to at least reach out to and, uh, and start to ask some questions uh, about this company and some of the things that you might be able to do for him. Pastor, this is uh, this might be something that you know we've had a couple of guys on this broadcast that I would highly recommend take a look at something like this. Absolutely, and JT, uh, thank you for coming on, connecting with us. Uh, I mean, I, I see why they have you doing what you're doing because you're good at at, at being a people person and connecting with people. And uh, I also just love hearing how how the Lord worked in your life to bring you to Himself. So. Um, thank you so much, JT. One one thing we do like to do is, you know, talk a little bit of sports here. What, um, as a basketball coach or as a player, what, what was a highlight for you that you'll always remember? All right. So it's difficult to narrow that down to just one. So I'm going to give you a couple. When I played high school basketball, I went to a really small school, uh, graduated with 13 people in my senior class. And if you know anything about high school basketball, you'll know that Kentucky is the only state that just has one class of basketball. So every high school in the state of Kentucky in the state of Kentucky competes for the state championship. And we're not segmented by, you know, Christian schools, public schools, bigger schools, smaller schools. So we were playing some really, really big schools. Um, and my senior year of high school, um, we were in the top five in scoring. We played a frenetic up-and-down pace, uh, shot a lot of threes. And so one memory I have is we scored 131 points in a high school basketball game. So eight-minute quarters, 131 points. Oh, That's man. pretty difficult to do, but that was a really fun night of playing basketball, I'll say that. I'll tell you, you won. We did, yes. Yeah, if, if they gave up 132, they'd be, man, I'd, I'd be talking shell drills. Yeah, you need to do a couple of shell drills during practice to, get, to maybe play some defense, man. That's awesome. Now, I, here we had a kid on our team who was the leading scorer in the state of Kentucky. Who We would have scored over 150, but the other team baited him into throwing a punch in the second quarter, and he got kicked out. So we scored 131 in the leading score. Without him. Without him. Hey, so, man. Well, just tell me the other sco- other team scored more than 30 points. They did. They had 70-something. Okay. 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 All right. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, about 
four or five blocks, city blocks, from where Pastor Ken and I are sitting right now is the high school where Tyler Hero went. Yeah. Who played at Kentucky last year. It was a first round draft pick. But it's it's you know, it's no more than six blocks away from from where we're sitting right here. And boy, he was a heck of a high school basketball player. And improved. Uh, I mean, he's a poster child for um, what Coach Calipari does. Uh, he came in, and I remember um, there was just a couple of guys saying, Hey, I really think this kid's going to be good. Most, you know, most of the time when Kentucky gets a recruit, they talk about, Well, we've got to replace him in a year. Right. Most of the people in Kentucky were saying, Hey, we've got Tyler Hero, and he's going to be here two or three years. And Man, he just blew up, and he improved more than any player, I think, from start to finish that I've seen from Coach Calipari while he's been at Kentucky. Um, just a phenomenal athlete, heady player, um, fearless. And he's doing a great job in the summer league for the Heat. You bet. Yeah, hey, what, what's your sec- what was your second? You said you had two that you didn't know. Okay, so when I was at Western Kentucky, um, you know, you live in the state of Kentucky, and you guys know how that is. Um, and, you know, you go on campus at Western Kentucky University and you'll see more UK, University of Kentucky gear than you will see Western Kentucky gear. Oh, oh that has to be hor- horrible. It's <laughs> awful. It's awful. <laughs> and so my last year at Western Kentucky, we actually opened up at the University of Kentucky playing UK. And I am telling you, there were about 20 people in the Commonwealth of Kentucky who thought we were going to win that game. And all of them were in our locker room. And we went out and whipped Kentucky that night. Oh. And that was a great year. We were in the top 15 in the country all year. We had a really good team. Uh, but that was re- I, that was really fun to look back on. Just as a kid from Kentucky, you're in Rupp Arena, and that place is deadly silent because they know there's nothing they can do uh, to beat you. Who was, who was coaching for Kentucky? Uh, that was Tubby Smith. Tubby Smith. Yeah, oh, man. I, now he, he 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 coached in Tulsa. Yeah, coached in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just spent a couple of days with Coach Smith last week, and I yeah, I didn't bring it up. I think it's probably still a no. Subject, so we whipped them that bad, but I I I'm nice, and I did not bring that up. But you had a T-shirt on underneath your shirt in case he talks back. You could just pull it off. I know you, JT. That's awesome. Hey, um, my wife. When I when I go home and tell my wife that the guy that we had on Faith in the Zone. Was uh, was part of House Hunters. That's going to be yeah. her favorite part of this, Matt, because okay. that's a big show for her. Um, she loves watching House Hunters on on HGTV. And how fun was that? You know, it was it was a lot of fun. I'm much more, as you can guess, I'm much more extroverted than my wife. So Natalie did not have as much fun with it as I did. Um, but also, it's a lot of work. It is five full days of filming for 22 minutes. Yep. Um, but I loved it. Uh, it was fun. I think it was it was neat that America was introduced to a white middle class family with two brown sons, and that that's what our country can look at look like, and that's what the gospel says we should look like. And so I thought that was really cool. Man, that's awesome. Were you looking for a house in Louisville? We were, yes. Yeah. So we lived here, and then my wife um, went from being a trainee into full-fledged, you know, physician with physician salary. So we were upgrading um, our home at that time. Boys, interesting life, this young man. I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, he is J.T. Henderson. It's been a great guest 
Um, you can go to nationsofcoaches.com. He's the director of development for Nations of Coaches. Go to that website. If you're feeling led, like you want to get involved in what these guys are doing, I would highly recommend starting at that website, reaching out to JT if you have any questions about how you can get involved. Uh, JT, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. I uh, look forward to doing it again sometime soon. You got nice it, Pastor. Yeah. Good to see you Thank again. You, hey, make sure that Pete Weary knows we're talking smack about him. Oh, you don't worry. He's my next call. You got <laughs> it. This year, that's awesome. This hey, tell him uh, home cooking, home cooking for Pete with Pete, those referees. Cafe. Yeah, Pete's I Cafe. Wrote I wrote down Pete's Cafe. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. This is Faith in the Zone on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. You've been listening to Faith in the Zone with host Mike McGivern and Pastor Ken Keltner. You can hear Faith in the Zone every Sunday at 8 a.m. To find past shows, exclusive podcasts, or to contribute with an inside tip for a guest, simply go to faithinthezone.com. Faith in the Zone is an inside look at people of sports and their walk in faith. Join us again next Sunday for Faith in the Zone, right here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Was it really amazing grace? Now I know for certain, Lord, it was you that rescued me. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.